let's descend the podcast into a bit of chaos. More chaos. More chaos. That electric moment when a ball hits the back of the net. Unbelievable game. Two great teams going at it. Compared to the other three beside him, he just looks like the new cafe or something. We are making a documentary about how shit our club is. <laughs> VR is bullshit. Who is the biggest cheater in football tonight? Harry Kane, without a fucking doubt. Without a fucking doubt. A Monday night and we are once again recording a video. And look at us, there's four of us here. Patrick is back, finally. Patrick's back. Hello, Patrick. Steve is here. Brent's in the top corner. Cousin Maud still has no Wi-Fi. Let's be honest, he's probably annoyed BT somehow down the line and they decided to fuck him and not going to give him any Wi-Fi, so he might be back for a little while. But the four of us are here. A lot went on this weekend, um, including the game at Stamford Bridge between United and Chelsea. We're going to chat about Everton because they're a little bit restless, the fans, and there's a little bit of a mentalness going on in the stand yesterday towards Rafa Benitez and the current squad and at the minute the Ballon d'Or is on and we're going to chat about the Ballon d'Or and an individual football awards which we might get into uh, to sort of start off with but Patrick hello how are you to start off you have been on for a while how are things yeah it's been a while I've been doing some shite course on Monday nights but um, <laughs> yeah good to be back I'm good playing a bit of football they were playing very well the minute sir they've been very good they were Imperious again at the weekend. Great to see. Uh, Brent and Steve, obviously, your two teams faced off against each other at Stamford Bridge yesterday. Um, Steve, uh, we'll talk about this. Sorry, first, we'll talk about this game first to get it out. And Patrick, you join in as well. Steve, just with you, there's a lot of talk after the game. Um, and I know Brent's going to come in here afterwards about how you know, yeah, United were very poor, um, under the cosh a lot. Um, and, and a lot of people are saying how like sort of Chelsea dominated them, and they did dominate them to a bit. But was there m- many moments during the game where you thought, "Oh God, this this could go horribly wrong"? Because I know at the start it looked pretty ropey, but then sort of not that United were never comfortable, but the, they didn't. The only real chance, apart from the goal, I can think of was the Rudiger chance towards the end, which was a big one. I don't think that he had t- many too many saves to make. It's yeah, a weird think- game yesterday. It was strange because obviously Chelsea dominated possession, but I don't think they were, other than the first 15 minutes, I don't think they were kind of really, really like spectacularly outplaying United. That said, United only played well for about 10, 15 minutes of the entire game, yeah. um, just after half time. And yet, if you actually look at the chances, it probably should have finished 2 2. That Werner chance that he missed kind of at the end. Um, and then Fred and his trying to chip the keeper um, <laughs> tobacco. Uh, like it, it, a draw felt a fair result, which is weird considering how much possession Chelsea had. But I think it was possession without actually doing a huge amount with it. Um, I don't know if Brendan would agree with that. Uh, yeah, the main I would. Um, I would say Hudson Adoy had an absolute sitter in like the first four minutes. Um, which was also a massive chance. I think if that goes in, it's a completely different game. Um, De Gea made a very good save. Um, obviously, Werner missed a couple of chances. Loftus-Cheek missed a header um, and, and missed a couple of chances inside the box. Um, but Chelsea were were poor in the final third. Um, 
in general, I think it's 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 one of the worst performances I've seen from him this season, to be honest. Um, I think that we all thought United were uh, were in for a really tough afternoon when we saw United's team, especially. Um, and I think that's that's still true now. I think Tuchel came out afterwards and said like he was happy with the performance and like you know they had a lot of the ball, etc. They created chances, they just couldn't take them. But I would say inside he is seething that they didn't pick up the three points. Brenton, is it and Paddy coming after this as well? And obviously yourself, Steve. Is there's three teams obviously at the top of the league now? Uh, I, I think everyone's sort of agreed there are going to be three teams in this title race all three possibly well certainly Liverpool and Chelsea possibly showed maybe some of their little weaknesses this weekend Chelsea's would be going forward whereas Liverpool like the one 4 nil, but Alisson Becker was unbelievable which is daft he had to make two two superb saves now you pay good money to get a good goalkeeper so you can make big saves in the game don't get me wrong but he still had to make those saves, whereas Chelsea looked yesterday, even when the Kaku came on, I know he's only coming back to fitness, that the, there wasn't that potent attack that City and Liverpool would both have, you know, because obviously Liverpool blew Manchester United away at Old Trafford, City as well, they only finished 2-0, but they could have had more, whereas Chelsea yesterday, it was, is that a worry going forward that maybe that might be the thing? Because for me, or Liverpool anyway, it would be like the defence... Not the defence, but the way they sort of defend sometimes this season. Alice is not going to be able to pull us out of a hole all the time. So is it for you, for Chelsea, that maybe the goals don't come and we don't get over the line? Uh, definitely, yeah. Um, I think if there's a worry with uh, with this Chelsea team, that's what it is. The fact that... Um, I think it's... Lukaku, I think, still needs a bit of time to form relationships. Um like I was listening to that podcast earlier and, and they were talking about the relationship that Sancho developed with Haaland and it was just instinctive at Dortmund. Um, I think there is, there's bound to be someone, um, you know, who plays those, those number 10 roles for Chelsea who can create that sort of link up with Lukaku. I think he, he obviously was bought at the end of the window. Um, then we had about 4,000 international breaks and he, also had an injury in there for for five weeks so he hasn't really had time to to create a bond with anyone um and i think there's potential there possibly with with pulisic in particular um zayash mount like you you can go on and on um hudson adoy as well with with the way he's been playing um and you would hope that the goals would eventually come for lukaku in that way i think Werner is is going to struggle to to get um, meaningful minutes in in important games. Like he's he just he's not sharp enough in front of goal. And I think everyone you know has has known that for quite quite some time. Um, and coming back from his injury, people maybe thought you know it would it would sharpen his eye. But um, I mean, he got a consolation at the end of the Juventus game, but in the games that you need sort of a, a difference maker he's he's really not producing at this moment so yeah it needs to be i think lukaku will will play uh, from the start uh, against watford on wednesday and it's a good opportunity to get um get his confidence back maybe get a few goals and um, because chelsea are going to need him you're right 
What about you, Paddy? Would you agree with that? Yeah, like <clears throat> obviously, as Brennan says, Lukaku's been all been out for for a while and hasn't got a chance to really settle in. Um, you know, his first couple of games back at Chelsea, he was he looked fantastic. Um, I did always wonder if that Tuchel formation with the two tens was going to suit him. I still don't know if it's going to particularly suit him. I know there's more subtlety to his game than just head and crosses, but you know, I think that width will be important for Chelsea too, and I suppose the fullbacks can can maybe offer that as well. But yeah, like Lukaku's going to be such a big addition coming back. You know, Werner has become like a figure of fun. Like he's like Benteke or Forlan or Crouch. Like really, people don't even take him seriously as a forward anymore. And he's a fifty million pound international striker. He's one that most clubs in Europe coveted for a while, including Liverpool. Uh, I think a lot of Liverpool fans were really disappointed whenever that deal didn't get completed because it looked like it was in the often for absolutely ages and that COVID had potentially put a spanner in the works. But it's weird to see how much he's fallen off a cliff. Um, saying that, Chelsea, I watched the game. If Chelsea played that game over 10 times, I think they'd win it 10 times. Um, I think Chelsea played some decent stuff. I know they've been better, but they had more than enough chances to win that game comfortably. Um, and United, you know, whilst the did a bit of a job. Uh, I still think it papered over a lot of cracks. Like I heard a stat today that 19 players had more shots than Manchester United this weekend. That 19 players, like United, offered nothing, and um, I think Chelsea will be very disappointed not to to get three points and, and surrender a wee bit of ground there in the title race. Saying that, like chatting to my brothers, Chelsea squad ridiculous. Like you mentioned, someone there, Pulisic and Mount coming off the bench. It's absolutely insane. Um, so yeah, they'll be fine, they're a great team. I, I think it's interesting, yeah. I just think it's interesting because, like, I watched the City and Liverpool games, so I saw how much space and how many chances that like they gave up in those games. So, yesterday seemed like a doddle, a breeze for United defensively compared to, and I know they played a slightly different shape or whatever, but um. I still think I don't think it was Chelsea were as dominant as I expected them to be, considering they how well they had played this season. And I know the United goal came from a you know a bad mistake by from Jorginho, um, which is a shame because he's obviously had a, a very very good year. Um, but I thought there was I won't say there were signs of improvement because that is not going to be the Manchester United side going forward. I think that's a really interesting thing as well that Carrick has decided it was just a matter of results. Over his couple of games in charge, it wasn't about building for, you know, whatever team or formation that you know Ragnick is going to is going to bring in himself. It was just about getting two good results. And look, they've somehow managed to qualify for the the knockout stages of the Champions League. They're somehow still in the race for the top four in the Premier League, despite how bad things have been. Um, so I think it's been a decent week for Manchester United, um, all things considered. Um, how badly it could have gone, maybe over the last, you know, since before and after Solskjaer sacking. I, I I agree with that actually. I, I I think that that was a great result for United, and the <clears throat> the the set out. What what did they play? Like they, they played three whole midfielders, um, who who towards the end of the game were were both maybe playing center back as well but i don't mind that from united at all like the situation that they were in i think um now i think carrick coming out after and saying we came here to win the game was a bit um hilarious um but 
<clears throat> I, I, I do think he'll be more than happy with that result. Um, and knowing off the back of that, that that, that is not how they're going to play. Probably from, I don't know if it'll be as soon as Arsenal, but um, going forward, his his job was just to um, to stop their rut, basically. And I think he's he's done that brilliantly over the past two games. Yeah, I think oh, the Arsenal yeah. getting... The Arsenal game just comes too soon, I think, for any kind of big changes again. And so I wouldn't be shocked if we didn't see something similar. I think Ronaldo will probably start the Arsenal game. I think uh, a point was was attempted to be made by management, um, temporary as it might be. And I think it was made because I've never seen Ronaldo actually run as much in a game for United this season as he did when he came on. Now, that could be, a, you know, he'd fresher legs and things like that. But there was definitely something from Ronaldo that was kind of trying to point to the new management team going, look, I can press if you want me to. Now it was not the pressing that you would need from your centre forward in whatever the new system is, but it was better than he had been doing in the previous 12 games in the league. One of the things as well, Steve, to just a little party, you'll not like this uh, thing on, on Ralph Rangnick is that he, he is a humongous fan of his name popped up on the TV there as well. Of Jude Bellingham, which would be a massive help to that Manchester United midfield if they were to somehow lure Jude Bellingham from Dortmund. He, he's quoted as saying that he has never seen a 17 year old like him with the ability that he has and the vision that he has as a midfielder. So uh, expect the Jude Bellingham rumours to Manchester United to really ramp up now within the next couple of weeks, heading into obviously January transfer window and then obviously the summer. Um, but that is a player. Manchester United. A lot of midfield actually you could do with because he looks like an absolute superb talent. Um, Can you play a centre half though? That's the, that's well, the big question for United. Well, probably, that's, that's probably, why you have yeah. Ra- Rafael Baran. <laughs> if you keep him fit, that's why he's there. Um, Paddy and Brent and Steve, Liverpool lane 4-0 winners uh, at home to Southampton. As I said, uh, Alisson uh, being one of the best players, even when we've won four 0 is mental. But he was he was superb. But also Paddy as well, Diogo Jota, he like he's getting better. I think I saw someone tw- tweet about him like, "Why did you waste your time going to Wolves and you just came down field straight away?" Because he's fitted in so well into that front three that he now is a mainstay in it. I would say. Yeah, no, he's he's been absolutely incredible, and you know, done far better than probably. All Liverpool fans would have expected when he was signed initially. It shows just how talented the kind of scouting department is at Liverpool that they identify players for their system and they just plug them in. Um, like Jota can play across all three of the front positions and it's just perfect in terms of his pressing and he was signed for a particular purpose. He's brilliant. You could even say the same about Simakas at left back. I know he had a real bed in season last year and for me he's still well behind Andy Robertson but showed how able a deputy he is of just being that Liverpool classic Liverpool fullback. Great delivery, great engine, uh, great at switching the play as well. So like, yeah, is one of those that just clearly worked hard, identified, and it's worked perfectly. Two goals the weekend, could have had more. Um, he just looks like he's going to score every time he plays. Um, and for someone who's relatively diminutive, like he's scoring scores quite a few headers and uh, we didn't get one at the weekend but he's fantastic in the air for for relatively wee fella so yeah as you said you know we will still surrender chances in every game no matter who we're playing um 
and it's maybe chances that Chelsea don't concede. Like Chelsea have conceded a handful of goals all season. We do give up big chances. Uh, we give up a lot of one-on-ones in the keeper because we play such a high line and the fullbacks are up the other end. Uh, and that's why Allison is so good, like, um, and he needs to be a lot of the time. But yeah, another another great win. Thiago's playing class. It's Lost. not good. Um, it's not good for for your heart. The just <laughs> Klopp's decision to be like, ah, oh, well, Allison's there, so just bomb forward everyone else, and he'll because there was a chance. I don't know if the two other lads, Brent and Steve, saw, but there's a chance where uh, Thiago gets robbed of the ball by Ward Price, I think it is, yeah, and it yeah. falls to Adam Armstrong, and Allison comes out of nowhere and just launches himself the ball and then palms it out, and that's early on in the game, um, and and then. Obviously, Liverpool didn't take control of it, but just that, like, he came rushing off his line and palmed it out. And, and again, it's like, all right, that's what Alisson does. But ideally, you'd want none of that to happen and Alisson to have a very, very quiet game. But um, you were nodding away there, Steve. Like, Alisson, I think, after the West Ham game, where he, he did look like he'd possibly had a few uh, early Christmas red wines, um, he's been really good since then. Like, he's been really, really assured. He's in some really big saves that, um, aren't getting noticed really because Liverpool are winning games, but he's looked really, really assured. Yeah, uh, it was, I actually agreed with an awful lot of what Paddy said there because the scouting thing is massive as well. Because if you think like Salah is not a homegrown product, Man is not a homegrown product, Jot is not a homegrown product, yet they are players who fit perfectly within the system. And yeah. you know, a lot of teams make a huge deal of the you know, their, their youth set up and bringing players through and things like that. But actually, if you've got a really good scouting department, that is a hell of an advantage, um, as Liverpool have shown over the last years. And then the game itself was funny. Like, Jota obviously played really well, but I felt like Liverpool left about four goals out there trying to set Jota up for his hat-trick. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of chances from Salah where he passed when he normally would have shot. And it was oh. just... Now, I was keeping a particularly close eye because I triple captain Salah. I was delighted. Football, hence my, uh, my my micro interest in um, in what Salah was doing in particular in the game. But I, I just thought that was as good a Liverpool performance going forward as I'd seen in, in quite a while. Like I mean, they basically were playing with Southampton. They could have ran up any score they wanted. Um, now, maybe Southampton... I mean, the formation, it felt so like... United versus City, where you've, you're giving all this space to midfield that will attack the space. There was like, no up midfield. It yeah. was really, really weird. Bizarre. Like they, it was like eight defenders and three forwards. It was, it was a really strange. Or sorry, two forwards. It was a really strange um, set, set up, and I didn't understand it at all. And there was no change to it. Like if you go one nil down after ninety seconds, you think you'd, you'd switch something up to try and adjust, like, but mm. no, there was there was nothing there. But I do think, yeah, like long term, Allison will take care of it. Is not a is not a system that you can no. you can rely on. And there's definitely like I, I say it to troll you all the time in the WhatsApp group. But teams are putting the ball in behind Alexander Arnold, and they're they are attacking that channel consistently. Like almost all of Southampton's attacks came down that left side, um, or their left side. So it's definitely something. Um, but you know, if you're going to score four goals every game, you're going to win or draw most game, most games. You're very unlikely to lose a game. You're going to score four goals. Yeah, it's uh, like uh, we do talk about it all the time about Alexander Arnold, but it's almost as if um, Klopp knows the teams are going to do that, and he's all like, 
just going ahead, Trent. Uh, do you know what I, I, I like? Um, I feel sorry sometimes as well for the centre half that's positioned on that side because he has to have Joe Gomez never got enough credit, but he was superb. Uh, the title winning season Liverpool had, and because he did because because of his pace as well, he was brilliant at getting across and stopping. And, and the season before that, it was Joel Matip. Liverpool have a really good, really solid defence. And then obviously when people are injured and it's not not to be disrespectful to Nat Phillips or Reese Williams, not defenders of a certain calibre, then it will get shown up more of you're getting attacked here and whatever. But this season, like even against West Ham, he was telling Trent to go in the midfield. And then you like you're watching the game and there was no one in right back. And Klopp was watching the game too, and he's all like, "I'd be dead on." And it's like, "Keep going, keep going." And then, well, obviously, it didn't work out. We get Chin three two, but they're sort of similar to on Saturday where he was just getting Rob- Robertson and Trent Alexander. Robertson was brilliant, by the way, coming back, and he clearly didn't like people talking about Timish Gaspin so well. He was just bombing forward. Uh, both of them were, and I- I'm really enjoying this. I'm sure you are too, Brenton. Reese James and Trent Alexander Arnold are now trying to. Create and score the most goals in the Premier League. I think Reese James is Chelsea's <laughs> top goal scorer, and yeah. he has eight goal contributions, and Trent has seven. The races think it's like four or five goals, and whatever. I don't know what it is, but you know, they're one ahead. So, I mean, Gareth, I think he's going to have to try and find a way. He has two right backs so that England somehow set up all the chances. But it, it's a, it's um it's a really good Trent competition now between the two lads. What were you saying, sorry? Trent in midfield. See, and we'll talk about this now because Paddy's here as well. Um, there is a lot of talk about that and, and whatever, but he's played in midfield and then, you know, I, I don't think it suits him as well. I don't think he can see the pitch as good as he does at fullback. I think, like, a lot of people get really wound up about it, and especially not non-Liverpool fans, and, and, like, they'll say about it, whereas we're just like, we're winning 3 or 4 nil, or we're winning games, just carry on. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like that reckless abandonment. It'll be interesting to see what happens in two or three years' time. If Kloppo does move on, there goes the heart. If Kloppo does move on and we have to then look at a new manager and what he does with someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold because, Paddy, what, do you, what are your thoughts on it? Like, I know what, what my Brent and Steve will come in after, like, but would you put him in the midfield? I wouldn't, no. Um, I think he's all the qualities to play there, but Klopp, and Klopp's comment on it was, why would we play the best right back in the world in midfield? Like he's he's creating loads of chances where he is. He puts a great whip on the ball, and if you're moving inside, you don't have the same angles and things probably to create some of those crosses that he does. I think he'd be very effective still, but I just don't know if he would be as effective um, in in a midfield role. Maybe at some stage, like I think he has the. We've said on this, he's like De Bruyne in terms of his passing. And, you know, De Bruyne gets in some good, good positions. Trent would score more goals in midfield, I've no doubt. He'd be in better positions to shoot. But I think he's just so vital to us at, at right-back that for now I wouldn't I wouldn't change him, no. What about you, Brent? Because you obviously have uh, Rhys James, who sometimes as well gets a bit of criticising for his defending. But I, I think he's actually all right, to be honest, uh, that way. I notice as well he is absolutely hoofing those weight machines, whatever he's at. Every game he turns out for Chelsea, he's bigger. And like, what the f-? like, he's like Hema. The time this season, financially, big Torres, the Torres is now like an absolute wardrobe walking around. But yeah, Brent, what do you make of it? And what would you do if you were if Trent was right back at Chelsea? What would you do? I suppose they don't have a um, 
they don't have a ready replacement, do they? At right back that they could properly trust. That's kind of what Patty's saying there. Um, like who's gonna be as you were saying about the caliber of, of the rest of the back line. Um I suppose the thing is you would have to change change the system uh to maybe fit him into a different role and, and Klopp isn't gonna do that. Why why would he, you know, really? Um he's just kinda maybe one of these these hybrid players um who's in between two roles and um the the thing the natural thing that you would do is to give more protection there on uh, on the right hand side of, of defense um central defense i mean and drop that line back slightly um which Klopp just seems determined not to do like as you've said already um he he just loves pushing them on um, and sometimes I know it's 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 crazy to say, but um, I, I think Liverpool could be even better um, if, like, when you're watching some of their games, like you're watching a game at the weekend there, and you think like the the they're in a position just not to give up these chances and, and still do what they want at the other end. Um, but you know, who might have question Klopp? Really, it's just when you see and. Yes, it helps that they have a, a world class goalkeeper. Um, but when you see some of the some of the chances they gave up, like the fact that Thiago lost that ball, there was just absolutely no protection around him. Um, it it wouldn't really happen at, at Chelsea or Man City, and I suppose that's just because they're they're playing a different system. And um, obviously Klopp will tell you that that his is working for Liverpool, but it seems like. You, you, you can't as I think Steve said already, like you can't just rely on that as a long term plan. Um and especially if you're gonna be coming up in the maybe the latter stages of the Champions League or, or you know, matches in the Premier League where you can't afford to be giving up those chances. Um the quality is maybe gonna be better on a different week and and you draw or you lose one of those games. So um yeah, in terms of Trent, it's it's difficult. Um, but I think in that current system, um, as Paddy says, he has to play and he's so uh, vital for Liverpool. Um, he, he, he has to play in, in right back in that system. But I mean, if, for England, you know, I, I actually could see him playing in the middle. Uh, Fries James is going to be on the right-hand side, say Liverpool play, a, or say England play a three at the back um, with wing-backs. Um you know, Trent could be in the middle and Reese could be bombing on there, or one of those, um, you know, reduced number 10 rules. Even I, I could see him playing in there too. And I imagine those two down the right hand side is, is just so threatening, Steve. It's, yeah, it's just it. interesting that you like you were saying that there's no Brendan said there, there's no ready made replacement for him. Um, I think that's probably the reason Klopp hasn't tried anything really different with in terms of formations um for Liverpool and I'm wondering if that why if you had three regularly fit centre halves which Liverpool seem it's impossible for Liverpool to have more than two fit centre halves at any one time. Don't jinx wonder, it with three at the minute don't jinx it <laughs> but I wonder would he try be more tempted to try like a three four three or a three five two with um with Alexander Arnold on the right hand side of the five or the four. Um I think it's it's a natural evolution for him, especially if you can get the centre half help. Because I think you do. You're right. You said earlier on, uh, Phil. You need like a pacey centre half in there beside him. Even watching Kanate a bit at the the weekend, 
he's a bit labored, you know, even compared to Van Dyke. He looks really slow, actually, compared to Van Dyke. I'm sure he's not, but he just looks it because of the two players around him or whatever. Um, so for me, I think it's just been a, a health issue with Liverpool that they haven't experimented more with different ways of using because it's a weakness. It's definitely defensively, like he, you know, Klopp calls him the best right back in the world. You can't be the best right back in the world if teams are constantly trying to exploit your channel. Um, like that, you don't attack teams that way. But look, again, if you're if if you're going to contribute like a goal and assist every other game the way he does, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I suppose. It's like you're a coach. It's like it's almost as if Klopp's just gone, and and you know, man, and Paddy as well. I adore Trent on Arnold. Like he's a scouser in our team. He like he'll be Liverpool captain soon enough, I reckon. Um, and he and I've said this before. I think he's our he's actually our best player. Um, well, he's certainly up there with Salah and and Van Dijk. Um, for, in my opinion, anyways, or obviously Alison when he's at the minute all those days, but um, like. As if Klopp's just gone, because you you'd give a number ten gets a free roll, De Bruyne gets a free roll, Bruno Fernandez can get a free roll, um these players, Messi gets a free roll where he just does whatever he wants in the final third, and if the other two thirds he doesn't go anywhere near. But anyway, and Klopp's gone. Well, my right back, I'm going to give him a free roll, and and it's just like it, it is like I, I get it too. I'm looking at it as a Liverpool fan enjoying it because he's so wet. Brilliant, but it was another time I was looking at this going, this man's mental, like he's letting his full right back just do whatever he wants, like literally. And it, um, it's just, it's just, I think we'll look back on it in a few years' time, and it'll be one of the things people will talk about when they talk about Klopp's teams, you know, the way they, like, they would talk about, um, say, like Runis Mikkel's t- Ajax teams. I'm reading a brilliant orange, by the way, that's why I mentioned it, or different things like or, or Pep's first Barcelona team. and they talked about like the Trek Artista and the half spaces and all and people playing in half spaces and the false nine came through and now all of a sudden it's this hybrid right back. Because it wouldn't surprise me if Thomas Tuchel did something similar with Reese James in one or two games. Reese, just go will you like yesterday he switched him. He's like, Reese, get over there and get something in this and do something with this ball. And he was Chelsea's most advanced attacker at times. So it's almost as if these managers are going, right, well, we've got these players. Tell you what, you're so pivotal at getting us going forward. Just do whatever you want. So it, it's can we like, call? Can we call Trent ahead. the false seven? Can we invent the, that the role? False, the the false seven or the, the false three or whatever. It's, yeah. it's it, it is mad. Like there there was one game. The the one game last that sticks out to me where I think he got an absolute pasting was Real Madrid against Vin- Vinicius Junior. Roasted him at um, the Real Madrid training ground ground they were playing at last year and that was the one where I where I'll admit even myself I was like oh balls he's been absolutely toast on, on toast here um whereas I do think other times not just you Steve because you like to troll me but there's other times people will jump all over him and if you look back at it you're like actually I don't know if that that might have been Van Dyke's fault there but no one will mention it because it's Van Dyke like Akimi was getting so much praise when he started um this season PSG and then Against Man City, like he's completely ball watching for the second goal. Bernardo Silva's a lovely pass back, and no one mentions it because it's not Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's like, oh, it's a Kimi though. Do you know what I mean? So I do think there's a little bit of an element of that, but I do obviously think that there is definitely teams will go right. We'll get at him, but Liverpool and Klopp don't seem to care. So I don't know if I can. I don't know if Paddy can. I definitely think he's a better defender than people give him credit for. Like I think you're right. People people beat him with that stick. 
because he's so good going forward. But I, I think I remember a game we played City in the European Cup, uh, Champions League that year, made the, the first final. And he, I was worried about him up against Sané, but he absolutely Sané right. didn't get a kick. Um, and there's been games like that where he's played some of the best players in Europe, and he he is very competent. I think he does look more secure as you would whenever he has either Milner or Henderson in front of him on that kind of right of the three, and you know an informed right-sided centre back that offers him protection. I think if you have someone like Thiago playing on the right, he's not going to protect you the way Henderson's going to or whatever. So yeah, it, it matters who's who's around him, but I do think he's he's not as uh, as bad as maybe some people think he, he is at defending. Um, yeah, well, that was a decent. I thought I was going to get more heated, but Steve behaved himself. But next week we'll talk about how Bruno Fernandez is overrated. Um, just on the Ballon d'Or, um, Brenton, Georgie got third and Kante was fifth. Benzema was fourth. So it's down to Lewandowski and Lionel Messi then, obviously, for the top two. But just Brenton, because this is obviously live, I have it on the background. Two Chelsea players in the top five, decent. Yeah, um, I think that's probably where roughly we thought they were going to be. Um, I think if Kante had have had a good Euros, if Kante and France had have had a good Euros, I don't mean just have to win it, but ended up say at semi final, final, and and whatever, he'd have been in with a massive chance. Yeah, I think the. Um... High profile games last season. Um, he was a standout player, obviously, in the quarter semi and final of the Champions League. And I think that we're probably going to talk about kind of how flawed it is, the Ballon d'Or in general. Um, it's just really a, um, a magazine basically picking who the best player in the world is. Um, but you know those things matter in in this uh, competition in this uh, trophy like it might be one two three games it might be as patty sort of said offer um what you win what your team wins um rather than your contribution and i think that's where my kind of argument would have been for Jorginho. i, I knew he wasn't going to win it like but um just he consistently um throughout the season last season um he he was hitting you know eight nines tens out of tens every week and he he was i think you need to watch a lot of chelsea games to to notice how how much of a difference he makes even when he's not on the ball and when he's giving out instructions um he's he's basically uh, people said he was Sarri's son uh, when uh, he was the Chelsea manager. Um, but, you know, he's really, he's the manager on the pitch. He's the manager's man on the pitch. Um, and he communicates the plan um, constantly. Uh, and I think that's so important. Like, I I know I even find that useful and constructive when I'm playing. Um, if somebody reminds you of what the plan is consistently throughout the game, and I think he's there's very few better at him than that. Um, but all those things, you know, I don't know how how much they break it down. Um, but uh, for me, uh, I think Lewandowski, if, if they don't present a 
at 2021 um i think he he really just deserves to be on that list for for how soiled he was um in the in the covid season definitely um we'll get into it now on the ballon d'or aussie breton you start us off nicely there steve um your take on the ballon d'or and also just i meant to say this in the group chat earlier and said to you now do you think the way it's given out seems to be um a, a popularity like Ronaldo and Messi won it far too many times over the years. Iniesta should have won it one year, he didn't get it. Um, uh, Modric won it one year as well, which is all right, it's nice to see someone different win it, but we shouldn't. But do you think who, who in your mind sticks out that hasn't won it that should have and sort of made it look like an even more farce than maybe people call it? Like literally anybody that is Ronaldo or Messi over the last decade and a half. I mean, it just well, seemed to here's be. Here's one as well. 1999, do you think Roy Keane should have been up there? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like his, he his, performance in, his yeah. performances in Turin. And I know, obviously, few of us in this podcast wouldn't be Roy Keane stands like yourself, sir. But like. We're talking about performances and high players should get it on big performances and big matches as we're talking about Kante and Jorginho and different things, Lewandowski over the season. But Roy Keane that season was phenomenal and phenomenal in Turin when he knew he wasn't going to be making the final in, in the Newcamp. Yeah, uh, and like that performance, like it's one of those things where you think nostalgia has made it better. It's on TV so often. Go back and watch it. It's an incredible box to box performance. It's not like it's on, it's the encapsulation of Roy Keane's career in one game. But I think so. The, in, in US sports in particular, they have the concept of the Hall of Fame, right? And my argument against the Hall of Fame is that eventually, if your career is long enough, you get into the Hall of Fame, right? Whereas I think the only way you should be in there is if you're one of the two best players in the world at your position for an extended period of time, right? So you have to, mm. A, do it for a significant part p- p- period of time, but also you are the very best. So you are irreplaceable. And I think that's the thing with the, the Ballon d'Or is like, they don't give the NBA MVP to LeBron James every year, even though he's the best player in basketball or maybe not now, but you know, for, a decade and a half he was the best player in basketball he should have won the mvp every year so you have to look at different metrics and i think the ballon d'or never got away from who is the most popular player in football right now who is like and who happened to win the most trophies in that particular year like you could absolutely make an argument that for more than one season thierry Henry was the best striker in world football yeah where's yeah. his ballon d'or like exactly uh, how I was gonna say there too. It's yeah. unbelievable for three seasons or so. Yeah, he was incredible. And uh, like there's there's half the Barcelona team that aren't uh, Lionel Messi as well that played around him that made him the player that he was. Paolo Mandini never won a Ballon d'Or, even though he was undoubtedly the best centre half in world football for a number of years as well. So it's it this is my issue is that when it's one when it's just one trophy across 11 positions and very very different positions like is it a most valuable player award is it a best player award is it who's had the most successful season because if it is it's Jorginho's trophy this year it should have been his trophy this year yeah so I don't think the Ballon d'Or ever knew what it was but what I think I hate about it is that I realized about 10 years ago if it turned itself into a Messi versus Ronaldo competition 
it could gain traction on social media a lot more than it maybe previously previously did. It could get more newspaper columns than previously. Because, you know, when I was growing up watching football, like from when it started until maybe 10, 15 years ago, the Ballon d'Or wasn't that big a deal. Like it wasn't as big a deal as it is now. And now because of that Ronaldo-Messi kind of almost like a wrestling rivalry, um, the way they've, they've, they've built it up, it's now become this bigger thing. And I think the cynic in me, especially with the quotes that came out this week where the, the guy who basically decides who's won the Ballon d'Or said that Ronaldo said to him he wouldn't retire until he'd won more Ballon d'Ors than Messi and then Ronaldo <laughs> said he didn't say that. But look, there's promotion. There's there's newspaper inches all about the Ballon d'Or and there's that guy in getting his name in the press and stuff like that. So the cynic in me thinks it's just a, a marketing exercise that doesn't actually truly reward the best player. Um, and I think when you go through the list of players who haven't won it, that kind of rings true. Well, Lionel Messi has won it. So, Patrick, what are you... Well, you're shaking your head there. Anyone that's watching the video will see that. Uh, what What is your thoughts on that? Like exactly what, what Steve just said about LeBron James. Messi's the best player in the world, probably still is the best player in the world. He would have had it 15 years in a row if I was awarding it, like, um, because he's a freak. But I don't believe it should be that either. Um, like, Messi had a really, really, I, I know he, he scored a reasonable amount of goals for a fucking dog shit Barcelona team last season. And just because he won his first international honor, they're just going to give it to him. Uh, it's just based on honors, it's absolute shit. Um, Lewandowski. As Brandon was saying there, you know, the, the COVID season that was ruined, the season that Bayern won, what he broke Gerd Muller's record for most goals ever in a German season, and he's yep. on fire again. Um, and because he plays for Poland and will never win anything internationally, is he just going to be discounted from the, the possibility? It, I don't know. It just seems, um, it seems just strange to award it that way. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't like it either. I think it's total shite. And uh, as, as Steve was saying, it was never a big deal. Now you hear players saying, "Oh, I want to move here to win the Ballon d'Or. I want to move there, or I want to get out of such and such a shadow to win the Ballon d'Or." No one gave a flying fuck about it for years. Like Michael Owen won one, two thousand one, <laughs> and he probably didn't even know he was going to win it until you know. It just seems so bizarre, and it nearly goes like there's there's leagues that are in vogue, so. You know, in the nineties, Italy was the main sort of dominant league. Lots of Italian uh, people based in Italy want the last ten years. A lot of Spanish teams, but basically between Messi and Ronaldo. But you'd you'd Kaka in there as well, Modric. And I would say that after Messi and Ronaldo, maybe after this particular Ballon d'Or, I think you're going to see a lot of English teams having players that are winning Ballon d'Ors because it's been a it's been a long time since that's happened. And I just think the dominance in English. League has at the moment, you know, four clubs just sailing into the Champions League knockout stages again. I just think it's inevitable that you're going to see City, Liverpool, United, Chelsea players win it for the next 10 years um, because they're going to be winning Champions Leagues and that's all they give a fuck about. Brenton, as, as a big target man uh, with the abilities of Lewandowski, you just haven't been spotted yet. What did you make of <laughs> the big man yet again uh, being overlooked? Uh, I... I... I don't know how much he he, he puts on it um, because I'm sure he knows how good he's been in the last two seasons. Um, and I think enough people are 
are telling him that and and he's helping out Bayern Munich enough um to know that but um yeah it's it's a bit of a joke like I think um the whoever the panel is who selected just maybe wanted to to get the most amount of exposure as Steve said like it's market and exercise it'll be um you know he's he's well clear of Ronaldo now Ronaldo's not going to win um anymore I wouldn't think um and that'll just be people confirming him who want to confirm him as, as the best ever. Um, but it's like they need validation to do so um, by awarding another Ballon d'Or. Um, I think it's it's not fair, really. Um, and yeah, he people will say, like, oh, finishing second is uh, to, me, to, you know, what some people call the greatest player of all time is um, is pretty good. But um, I think over the past two years, Lewandowski has has been the best player in the world for me. Anyway, for for what for the progression that he's shown, and for the pure consistency of doing in the heart, um, which is scoring goals. Um, I think the the recognition would have needed to be there at least one of these two years, and and now he's. he's been left out both years like so um i think we all knew it was inevitable but um it's just annoying that we're gonna have to listen to the bullshit uh again for for probably the next 48 72 hours i just i i think Lewandowski definitely had a show one of the last two years and i think salah as well i mean for periods of of the last two seasons, he has been absolutely unplayable, uh, whether it's assists, whether it's goals, whether it's his all-around play. Like, he was so close to Ronaldo and Messi at their peak over the last couple of seasons in particular. Uh, Salah, I know Paddy doesn't always uh, rate him as highly as some of the rest <laughs> of us on this podcast, but, like, the, this is coming... I hate to say it because, obviously, he's a Liverpool player and I'm a Manchester United fan, but, like, he has been that good that... I, there's no you, if, if he'd have won it, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Do you know, if Lewandowski had won it, we wouldn't be having this discussion about it. So part of me really does think that the, the that France football knows what they're doing with this, this now. Like, there, there's no, by no argument was Lionel Messi the best player in the world in the last season. He just was not, like, um, so... Uh, they're either giving it to him as a lifetime achievement award or as saying he's the best player like just traditionally he has been the best player in the world and that's fine we know that you don't need to give him a an annual trophy for that that's what you give someone at the end of their career not, yeah. not on an annual basis yeah like the the Giggs when like the pfa player of the year kind of towards the end of his career it kind of feels a bit like that that that's exactly what it feels yeah. like, and and Giggs was rubbish the year he got that as well. Like, and and that 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 does happen. I get it. Like, I do get it. But like, when you look at like some of the players who we have grown, like we have watched over the last decade, and and for none of them to kind of really get a look in, um, obviously other than Modric, um, and when how what, what is it? Kaka in two thousand and seven, kind of yeah. the other time that Van Dijk was second as well in two thousand nineteen. Van Dijk should have won. Like, but, yeah, Van Dijk should have yeah. won. That's another thing as well. I think you touched on Steve like about positions. Like 
Edward Mendy last year for Chelsea was this whole calendar year actually. I know he he maybe wasn't amazing yesterday, but whatever. Um, was absolutely phenomenal, <laughs> especially since Tammy Tooch came in and I put a spell on him. He was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but he's nowhere near the. the I don't even think he made the top ten. I think Don Ruma made it one, but there could be two or three goalkeepers. You know what I mean? It is all about positions and scoring goals. When really, like you look back at it, and it's definitely like, as I said, Kante. If he had of um, France had done well, Kante was going to win it, I think, in my opinion, because of how well he played in the Champions League final and shackled Kevin De Bruyne. Um, that year, Van Dijk was amazing for Liverpool in 2019 when they went to the Champions League. Uh, other players before that, you know, there's definitely been times where you've just been like, what's going on here? But look, the, it's we'll, we'll still talk about it. We'll probably still talk about it next season when it comes up a little bit again. Um, but it is. I, I don't. I think everyone's of the opinion now, where because they've put Messi and Ronaldo in so many times that it's just getting a bit silly now. And, and maybe we'll all celebrate when someone else wins it. Um, hopefully next season. Hopefully it's well, most Salah when he's won a quadruple. Yes, Brenton. Someone else. Someone else definitely should win it next season. You can say that already, like because you know. Yeah. With, well, they'll with probably Messi hold being... off now until the World Cup's over. Just in case Messi has an absolute stonker of a World Cup, which he's threatening to do because he's playing so well for Argentina, and he couldn't give a piss about Paris. And uh, you know what? I'd actually give him the Ballon d'Or for that, for not giving <laughs> a piss about Paris. Um, well, yeah. So that we'll, we'll wait and see what happens next year because they might hold off because we're having that World Cup in Qatar. Um, just to sort of round up the show, the last the last third of it, a uh, couple of instances this weekend where fans. Uh, have not been too happy with their teams. Uh, Brighton on Saturday night, and you know Steve's going to talk about it with me now. Uh, booed off <laughs> the fans. Booed off their team uh, after a nil-nil draw with Leeds. Um, despite the position they're in, which I just found, and I get like you're a fan, you're paying money, and so we're going to talk about this now, Steve. Say whatever you want, like it, because it's your money and it's your team. But I just my head was blown hearing and seeing that, and then the Ev. Oh boy, Everton have uh, it's early for them now to start losing the run of themselves, especially in Derby week. Um, I mean, they're setting themselves up here for all sorts of chaos, but yeah, the Everton have, have have turned it's turning blood, it's turned on Rafa, it seems. So, Steve, we'll start off with Brighton first. Um, I made the comment earlier in the group chat, folks, about how Brighton like what was going on there and wasn't helping myself. And Steve, you sort of think it's okay for them to do it, which I get, but like just on that, like. Brighton are 8th in the Premier League. This is Brighton. And I just think for them to boo their team off. And Graham Potter was nay fussed. Um, I just, I didn't, I didn't get it. I kind of do understand it. I mean, it was middle of September when they last won a game in the Premier League. Um, the, the Liverpool game was kind of an aberration in terms of performance. Um, from what I've caught of them, they've been really, really poor. I mean, they drew with Newcastle and, and made Newcastle look good. And I watched Newcastle have 3% possession in a five-minute period the weekend. They're not a very, very good team at all. Um, so I can see the frustration, especially when you start a season so well. I mean, what did they have? Like three wins in their first four, four wins in their first five, maybe? So for it to kind of fall downhill from, from, from here... I completely understand the frustration. But I've no issue with fans booing players. You've paid good money 
and if you don't believe that the performance you've seen is is good enough i think you're entitled to express your opinion on that now there is the caveat that i think the rest of you might come in with which is that like it's brighton you should just be happy with what you've got but you 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 can set expectations within the season and when you get off to start like that within the season and yeah sure enough like they were games that maybe they would have expected to win um wafford burnley brentford and leicester maybe um but i just think that it I can understand why Potter said what he said. I, I completely do. But I don't, in this case, I don't mind the booing um, because it has been really poor fare uh, for the last month and a half, maybe a little bit longer. And that frustration is starting to boil over. I, I don't know whether it's been a change of tactics or what they've done, or other teams have copped onto them. But I think at one stage they had, and I hate to bring up this stat, but they had the highest expected goals in the Premier League at one stage. Uh, and that seems to have disappeared. Um, so I get the frustration, especially as I said, because you've paid good money, you can do what you want, you can turn around and walk out if you want. It's your money. No, I, I get that too. And I apologize to anybody watching the video. Uh, Brenton's sister decided to gate crash the video there for the baby monitor, so I had to mute myself and tell her to quickly come in. I, I get all that. Uh, don't get me wrong, I, I get that. And, and I would never tell fans how to behave as long as they're not fighting or being racist or any of that shit, but. Like and and I get a two and the lads you can come in here as well about the expectations for Brighton. And I don't mean this disrespectful, but you're fucking Brighton, all right? And you're eighth in the Premier League, haven't come up. You have a brilliant, brilliant young manager. Yes, maybe you're not playing the football you started off the start of the season, but you're still sitting very comfortably in eighth on the cusp of European football. You know, I would be yes annoyed if you drew nil nil or whatever, but taboo players. I was just like, what? I don't know what you, Paddy and Brent, what you used to thought about, but it just it blew my mind when I when I heard it. Yeah, well, like uh, I agree with you, like that that it's Brighton, and you'd wonder what if they did a kind of a poll of who's bo- who's booing and wondering what kind of fan it is. Is is it a young fan that's grown up in the last two three years with Brighton in the Premier League? expecting a lot or is it the fans that supported a homeless Brighton for years as they played at the Withing Community Stadium and were homeless like this is a club who have really built themselves up massively they're in a beautiful stadium they've got a billionaire owner as you said bright young manager and and some really good young players they definitely need a need to sort of take a look at themselves like they're, they're not going to win the league they're not going to finish Champions League and they never were you know and yes, I totally agree with Steve that you should have aspirations and, you know, because you've been shit doesn't mean you should always be shit. But, you know, give the lads a bit of a break. Like, you know, if you said you'd be eighth at the end of November, early December, at the start of the year, Brighton fans would have been very, very happy. What about you, Brighton? Same point as United. <laughs> oh, I would be booing then, actually, to be honest. Yeah, I just going to say they should be booing for that. Like, should be <laughs> yeah. I, I, I went for that opening statement and then I realized, hang on, is this a positive or a negative? Um, it, uh, yeah, I, I think um, there's obviously a bit of both. Um, I, I think they're, they'd be obviously in a much, much better position. And you might see them go in in January for, for a proper striker. Mope, um, I think last season he had a good year. Um, but 
he can't finish his dinner. Like, um, I, I think the um, they're struggling with the the final third, um, massively. I think they've got some really really good players and and um, as you said, a, a brilliant manager. Um, but I don't think there's a lot to do to that team um, to to make them very competitive, a very competitive Premier League team. Um, I mean, Liverpool obviously saw that. Um, I know you watched that match and said that, that Brighton were absolutely fantastic, probably should have won the game. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's very good signs there. There's signs of progression as well, which if you told them um, at the end of last season, as you said, where they be, where they would be at this stage in uh, uh, this season, and playing really good football too. You know, it, it's 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 important. It's very important to some people. Um, you even see there with United. Um, they said about Mourinho. You know, he won a few trophies, but they they're not happy watching that because it's not good football. And there's no reason why why Brighton fans can't think the same. And they're they're playing really really good football. They're you know. They're one of those teams that, um, you know, on a Saturday night, if Brighton are involved in the in the evening kickoff, I'll watch it because they're a good side to watch. Whereas you wouldn't watch other teams. Um, so, I think that they don't have a lot to complain about. I think it was maybe a build up of a few, a few results that, based on the the start of the season, uh, yes, you may have expected them to, to have a few better results, but. Um, I think with adding goals to that side um, is their only issue. And I know I've said that's the hardest thing to do in football, but, um, you know, January's coming up. There's a really good point on on Mopé. Like, he, he misses so many chances, and Welbeck's never been prolific. And uh, Aaron Connolly, I remember when he was break, breaking through, I remember he scored a couple of goals against Spurs, and I was like, geez, this guy yeah. looks really good. And then the more and more you see him, the more you see how many chances he misses and and, and how kind of lax he is sometimes. But like you're right about Brighton, all these be technical midfield players like McAllister and Lalana and Trossard and Gross and all great footballers. And Lamptey yeah. right back is Lamptey is brilliant. Yeah, United could do a lot worse than saying Tariq Lamptey. Um so yeah. What instead of Iron One Bomb Scarcer? <sighs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, um, uh, is, is Ragnick not going to turn him into Trent Alexander-Arnold? That's what I heard. <laughs> no, what was the comment underneath? Not even Doctor Strange could do that, <laughs> um, which made us all laugh very much. Another team uh, who play in blue, whose fans, um, God love them, they're having, they're having a hard time at the minute, uh, would be the Ev. Everton. Um, it's turned on Rafa Benitez a little bit. Um, and I am a Rafa stan, so I'll stick up for him. I, like... <sighs> I get it that I haven't been playing well, but that Calvert-Lewin has been injured and also, as I said at the start of the show, and I'll get it right this time, he's having to go in to try and buy players with kazoo credit points. Do you know what I mean? He's not been given any money and then the Everton fans were expecting, because they had a good start Tuesday, like you said about Brighton, they obviously were expecting Everton to be right up in the mix with the top six, top eight and, and properly challenging for Europe again and it just hasn't worked out for them and, and they were very poor yesterday against Brentford. They were like, Brentford at home was, time, 
what did you say? Sorry. The players doing ads at halftime. Yes, yeah, and as well, the, the players doing live ads, because <laughs> apparently ads are live now, because Mike Parry's a fucking arsehole. Uh-huh. Um, and he thinks that, he, you know what happened to him? He took too much cinnamon that time and absolutely wrecked himself, and his brain has gone to mush. <laughs> or what is it you said, Steve, the other day? He has a smooth brain. Yeah, it's a thought <laughs> just slide right off. Yeah, so just slides off. But uh, yeah, the Everton, uh, Brent, you can come in here first because you raised the point. Um, they're not. It's not going well for them at the minute. Understatement. Um, no win in five. Um, some really poor results in there. Um, and their next five: Liverpool, Arsenal, Crystal Palace, Chelsea, Leicester. Um, oh. And. You know, things don't seem to be getting better. Uh, Calvert Lewin, obviously a big miss. Richarlison, I think, was suspended or injured um, for the weekend. Um, yeah, he was there. Oh, was he there? Suspended. No, sorry, it was Rondon. Sorry, yeah, he, he was suspended. Yeah. Um, yeah, slightly slight difference between Rondon and, and Richarlison, isn't there? Like, slight difference um, in yeah. a calibre player, yes. Yeah, um, Rondon can't hit a barn door, but... Um, <laughs> I don't think Brighton will be signing him in January. Uh, it's it's just I think it's a shit show from from the top to the bottom. Um, they've had managers in who who haven't spent the money that's been invested well, and now as you say, Rafa um, has been has been left with the dregs. I just I don't I don't know why. Like I've I don't, I'm kind of indifferent towards Benitez. Um, he did. I think people liked him at Newcastle. He did a good job there for for the the shit show that was too. But it seems like he's walked into something similar at Everton. Um as if he wasn't can how how bad a situation the, the club were in. Um but uh, it's so it's obviously so important to to get Calvert Leon back. I think he's just the main focus of, of everything they do. Um, but, but I mean they're fourteenth at the minute. When you um, when you think about the comparison there to where to where Brighton are, um, and how their fans are unhappy, um, Everton fans are are a passionate lot. Like as as I'm sure you you'll be aware, and I don't know how how long Benitez can last with the and it's. It's maybe not overly his fault, but I just don't know. They were talking on on the Monday Night Club about um, his style of management. If it's a bit outdated now, and I was, I, I, it's something that has never occurred to me. But when they said it, um, it it kind of just makes a lot of sense. Com- say what you compare him to the to the likes of Potter, even, um, and if you go above and beyond that the caliber of manager that he used to be ranked with and now you compare him to pat Klopp and, and tugel it's just a, a world of difference and um i think everton would benefit massively um to have the type of crowd there the type of energy um that if they played that football that that those other managers are are introducing um or they got somebody they maybe not be able to attract as big a name but if they got somebody who had that um philosophy i just think it would it would benefit them massively and obviously at the minute they can't spend the money but um you know somebody coming in with an idea there like we talked about the other night with united um i, I think the match matchup maybe isn't quite right 
I I completely agree on the coaching thing. I I watched the Everton City game, um, and he set Everton up for a scoreless draw, and City yeah. scored just before half time, and they came out Everton in the second half and played like they were playing for a scoreless draw. It was just the void of any coaching or tactical names whatsoever. Uh, and I know Man City are, are like you know one of the best five teams in world football, but like you've set up not to concede, you've now conceded. There needs to be a plan B, and there doesn't seem to be a plan B. And it was it was a couple. It was, was it the Watford or the Wolves game was, was similar enough as well? Like there just didn't seem to be any kind of Watford. They were beat four. Yeah, it was it two one the Wolves game? Was it? Yeah. Yeah, and it was only kind of in the last like third of the game that they showed any kind of attacking intent or whatever. And obviously by that stage, it was it was too late. And uh, there's just too much of that. Like it's just too slow to kind of make changes. And I know that the squad depth is an issue, and I know that the caliber of players is it's obviously really poor. But they 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 look a team in trouble. Um, I'm trying to think like. The points differential differentiation at the bottom of of the table, like at this stage, like they're not, like they're there thereabouts. Like what Burnley and Norwich on nine, Everton on fifteen. Like it's, I mean, you're very quickly with the run of fixtures that you can have over Christmas, you you fall into a relegation scrap really, really quickly. Um, and I, I know that's mad saying that about a team who are only three points behind Man United. I'm not talking about Man United being. It's the form. It's the way they've kind of looked. I think the the eyeball test, as they they call it, like, um, would worry me. And it, it feels like, I think Brendan, you said it. Like he Benitez, in particular, when he was in charge of Newcastle, and the way he was kind of like treated there, he kind of built up a lot of kind of goodwill. And I think that's why people, you know, maybe not Liverpool fans, because I know sir, I know I know Everton fans who are not happy with him being appointed manager, uh, because of his obvious associations with the crowd across Stanley Park but it, I think that goodwill is starting to fade away a little bit now and and yeah that feels like it might be a very short term deal it feels like it's it's completely gone you know it's um, even some very level headed uh, fans that I would follow on Twitter and, and chat to the old time w- wouldn't come out with like <laughs> Someone asking him to get his fucking coat. They uh, on Twitter yesterday. I wouldn't come out with that, but um, they're sort of at the point now where they're like, we're not seeing anything here. And um, look, the Derby's a great game for them to get a massive win and and bounce back in and 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 kick on from there. Don't get me wrong, and it is it's a Derby at Goodison, and they're usually quite uncomfortable for Liverpool. I know Liverpool have had this great record against Everton, especially at Anfield up until last year. But at Goodison, it's, it's that isn't the case because especially a, a full raucous Goodison on a Wednesday night, um, should be a really good game. Or atmosphere wise, but Paddy, this it it just doesn't look anywhere near like the Everton last season. Like I think I said in one of the podcasts last season, I fancied Everton to beat us, and they turned yeah. up at Anfield with a swagger under Ancelotti. And they were good, and they did win the game. And he, and even at, at Goodison Park, um, and there was obviously the injuries to Thiago and Van Dijk, but the, again there was a swagger about them, and that isn't there at all this season. That at all, they they look like they're beaten sometimes before they even go out. Yeah, like they look totally devoid of confidence and no real creative creative spark. Like I know that James, who played last season and and had his 
moments. Um, but there's, there's just seemed to be very little from midfield. Gray started well, has faded. Townsend started well, has also faded. Um, but as you said, Caberloon is so important. Rafa's had some really weird jobs. You know, like I can think of three jobs that he's gone into, and it's already starting on the back foot as manager. Chelsea fans didn't like him. Uh, Everton fans, he went in, he's having to win them over. And when he took over from, you know, a treble winning uh, Jose Mourinho at Inter, fans didn't like him there either. He's had some really weird Madrid. job choices. Or Real Madrid, yeah, four, where he's gone in and he's immediately on the back foot trying to win people over. And that's not, like, that's not a way you want to start any job. Um, and he needed, you know, he needs funds and he needs something at Everton to create something like he did very well at Newcastle to keep them up and keep them up relatively comfortably um but he needs something there you know he's, he's shopping in the bargain bargain basement there um he needs help and as as Brendan was saying about him being outdated it's interesting because I'd never thought of Rafa that way but I remember when he joined Liverpool I remember reading a thing about him and he said he was obsessed with some sort of board game as a Spanish kid and played it and played it and played it until he knew every move, every move, every move. And you can nearly see that in his in his thinking. Like he's he's a very rigid manager. Like think of Liverpool teams. Yes, he had some success at Liverpool, but we I know Gerard and Torres had a bit of a combination, but we weren't really free flowing football ever. Like we were very organized and disciplined, mm-hmm. didn't concede many goals, and had like a bit of stardust up front. Like He's not going to play like any of these kind of modern managers. Um, no. Unless he's got the right parts at Everton, he, he's going to struggle. And those next five games could be an absolute death knell. You know, and if If he does, if, if Liverpool turn up to Goodison like they did to Old Trafford and and put on a show and, and Everton don't get near them and, and it does end up three or four, which hasn't happened, I don't even think, in our lifetime, Paddy, to be honest. I can't remember it. Um, then he could like it. You wouldn't be surprised if to see that he's gone at the weekend. It's sort of the feeling you're getting, like, and that board will they'll look, they'll see the fans, and they'll look at the fans going nuts, and they'll go right. We're gonna get, we're gonna take a move here and go. And um, so it's it's a real interesting. It's a Rafa loves as you say, loves being thrown into the fire. Loves being in the fire for some whatever reason he courts um fights. He's a bit like myself actually. And Steve, but he just courts fights and he just loves being in. You do love being in fights, you love being in fights with me. He loves being in his back up against the wall, and, and it is going to be a real interest. And if he gets if he gets through these five games and he has a positive win outcome, then fair fucks to him because they look absolutely deadly. But what were you, you were going to say to something there, Paddy? Sorry, I was just, I was just going to say Rafa took a very good couple of results against City when he was Newcastle manager. I remember Rondon scoring and like they, yep. they pull these games out of the fire sometimes against big big teams, and like I don't know this is like a the, the pessimistic side of me as a football fan, but like it wouldn't massively surprise me if dog shit as Everton have been if they can do something tomorrow. Like I'm not saying they're going to swashbuckle their way to a three 0 win, but it wouldn't surprise me if they keep it tight, ride their luck, and score a Michael Keane goal from a corner. Like, um, you know it it just. Rafa can just dig it out sometimes, um, you know, and completely stink the place out and get a result. I think it'll all depend as well on the atmosphere at Goodison. I don't know if any of you have been to Goodison, but I have, and, and I like, even yeah. though I enjoyed it because they lost um, penalties, <laughs> but um, and Tony Hibbert got 
a death threat, which was amazing, um, from a fella in the stand. But um, it's it's such a brilliant, brilliant stadium. I'll be sad when they move because it is. I think it's such a brilliant, brilliant stadium. They just can't develop, redevelop around it. So I understand. But Goodison is, so, and you, as you said, Brett, you've been there when it's been rocking, and it is, it is class. Like, and, and if they can get a good atmosphere, good from the start, good, as you said, Goodison Park on tomorrow on Wednesday night under the lights, Rafa getting them to sit in or whatever it is, fight the way through it. Like Everton fans want that. They always talk with the team, the Dogs of War that they had uh, under Kendall. I think it was. They always talk about them and Joe Royal. They always talk about those sides because they would have got stuck in, they would have fought you, in, and they were really, really hard place to go. But if it turns up the way it looks like, if way it feels at the minute, if you go off, I know it's not a good browner, but social media and the way people are reacting and the way people have been writing pieces and think pieces on it, it could be a stinking atmosphere and it could play right into Liverpool's hands because, let's not forget, this game last year put Van, Virgil van Dijk out for the season. Bollocks Thiago's season for the start of it anyway. It took him ages to get over that injury. Um, and Klopp commented on it um, on Saturday. He commented about turning up to going to Goodison Park, and they'll be the team trying to play football. Um, unlike last time, because he, obviously Everton were got stuck in, which I don't mind. I'd love some Liverpool players to uh, chin high tackle on Wednesday night. But you know what I mean. <laughs> so it'll, it'll it'll be interesting because there's a couple of Liverpool players, and and obviously Klopp is going to have a word. There's going to be something that it'll be interesting to see how that game goes down. That derby is always it was called the friendly derby. Because uh, people could sit beside each other in the fan in the stands, but on the pitch, everyone's trying to punch the head off each other. So we'll see how Wednesday night goes. I'm looking forward to Goodison Park Wednesday night. Um, I think it'll be I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be a really good pre Christmas winter warmer. Um, I think uh, Everton fans wouldn't be too disheartened if they were to lose and it'd speed up the Benitez exit. Um, yeah, you want to make you want to make a move for Solskjaer before someone else picks him up. <laughs> 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 oh, I tell you what, if we chin Everton on Wednesday night and they stay in Solskjaer on Thursday, I'll have to take Friday off. Solskjaer will Solskjaer be, be lucky, lucky to get the Milford Everton job, I think. <laughs> 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 I've literally been sitting there for 10 minutes waiting to say that. <laughs> Just waiting um, to Yes, so a tricky week for Everton and then they have the Derby obviously on Wednesday night. We'll see how that goes. Um, I'm biased. I hope Van Dyke scores and smashes Pickford into the um, the Gladys Street end or whatever you call it. Yeah, the Gladys Road end. Um, I don't think there's anything else for us to touch on. Oh, Stephen, yes. ketchup quickly, red sure. sauce, Gerard sure. Bandit, Conte yeah, Bandit. He banned it for the wrong reasons though. Like Conte and yeah. Gerard have banned it because they think that it's a performance blocker. But they should ban it because red sauce and tomato ketchup, whatever you want to call it, is for children, and no adults should be eating tomato ketchup. I watched my cousin once drink a bottle of red sauce. Wow. Yep. One of our <laughs> listeners, actually a friend of yours, Patrick, reminded me of that a couple of weeks back. My cousin, Dara, used to drink red sauce. That is incredible. Fair play to him. Very and he's now six and a half. He's six foot four and he's long hair and he's an absolute G. So obviously it is performance enhancing because he's massive now. Yeah. So clearly, I mean, you know. You can drink all the Lucasaid Sport or Monster Energy drinks you want, but a sachet of ketchup, no, get out of my club. I'm going to hoof red sauce <laughs> in the fin so he's an absolute monster when he's older. Um, it's, it's, always so, yeah. the, it's always the thing that when a continental manager takes over an English club, they always talk about, oh, ketchup's bomb. It's like, it's a tale as old as time, like. Yeah. And now <laughs> Gerard's proven his continental side, like he wears coats in the sidelines and all. 
I'll make sure. So he starts speaking in a Dutch accent when he's doing his post-match interviews in the future. So. <laughs> I think it's wasn't it Finger did it famously. He started this whole. He brought it all in, and then they were like, "Aye." Uh, and then you have a just a, a side point. But did anybody pick up? We didn't pick up on this last week. Brian Robson's uh, word of advice. Did you hear Go about this, Steve? To, yeah, to the United players after they were getting hoofed by everyone. What you need to do, lads, just go all go out together and just get pissed, and you know sort it out from there. I actually condone this and video it. Uh, all these <laughs> go out and get pissed because I want to see what happens next, uh, and get Keane involved and Keane and Carrick can go at it in the sidelines too because obviously there's a bit of there's a bit of hatred there for for whatever reason. Um, uh, for because Michael Carrick came in, took right Keane's number sixteen jersey, well, won, three, won three Premier Leagues in the Champions League. Uh, that's what the is is about. So. Um, yeah, so yeah, that'll do us. I think for this week, uh, we'll be back on Thursday evening. I think Cousin Mud will be involved on Thursday. Um, if he has the Wi-Fi sorted, nobody else has any other things you want to get on off their chest tonight before we finish up. Just, Thanks. just Thanks. tune it. Sorry. I was just going to say tune into that one because uh, Arsenal and United on Thursday night. So this was going to say yeah, I thought no, we were doing it live on Thursday night. Myself and Johnny just going at it as the game. Is. Oh, good. I, 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 would, I would happily sit in the middle of that and referee that and just throw grenades at both of you. Um, yes, I, we should maybe try that. Maybe folks stay tuned. We might actually attempt to do that. It could be like a live. fan zone on Sky back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, brilliant! Great watch. Oh, that was class like um, especially if someone scored a last minute winner and you always wanted to see the person whose team conceded you want to see their heartbroken face um, so yeah stay tuned for that folks as you can see in the bottom of the banner if you're watching the video Brenton has everything up for you for our Patreon and for our Twitter and um, our Instagram but if you're listening to the podcast uh, catch us on Twitter and Instagram at Football Battle Pod and catch us on Patreon at where is it it's coming up now I never remember it <laughs> patreon.com forward slash football babble just there uh folks thanks for watching thanks for listening and we'll speak to you again on thursday night good luck